I don't know about you, but in my experience, the problem of suffering is one of the greatest challenges to faith in and trust in the Christian God and the Christian faith. So you may have grappled with this yourself. Christianity says there is an all-powerful and all-loving personal God at the heart of the universe. And yet, when you look around at the world, you go, there just seems to be so much random, pointless suffering that doesn't just come upon bad people, but upon good people. And so how do you make sense of that? I don't know if you grappled with that. Might be my family of origin and my growing up, but I just have always found this to be initially problematic, but something I've thought about so much growing up as a, a child of a German Jew, growing up in Africa in the context of civil war, and just so acutely aware that the world was very difficult and full of evil and full of suffering. And that how we lived in the face of that, in the light of that became critically important. So that's what we're going to try and think about today. And I asked you about the, does God heal today? Because that's really a way into how we live with suffering and how we then answer that question. What do we do with the reality of evil and suffering in the world? And is God at work in the world? Can we expect God to heal? For example, you may be here this morning with all kinds of physical illness, psychological illness, relational breakdown. And, and this may be deeply problematic and a massive challenge for your faith. And the question for you is, will God, could you realistically expect God to show up and heal you of whatever it is that ails you this morning? And is that one way to resolve the problem? And of course, then I think as Daryl said, the problem of course is what if he doesn't? What if we all pray earnestly and then you don't get healed? So how do you deal with that? Okay. Now we're going to address this in and solve all these questions and problems for you in the next 20 minutes. And it's, this is only the greatest challenge Christianity faces and people have thought about this for millennia, but we'll solve it in 20 minutes. No, we won't. We'll get, I'll show you the way to go to the way I think about it. And particularly the way I think about it from Romans eight, which I think is one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. It's certainly one of my favorite, but I want to start off by helping you understand and locate how we generally in our culture make sense of life and tell me if you think this is accurate or not. Um, there's this idea, uh, so we can think of, a, a two axes We're going up this way. Uh, and on the vertical axis, you can think of, um, uh, your glory. Romans eight uses this. And the, your glory is your flourishing, your fullness. We all understand if you're a glorious being, it's everything's great and wonderful and you're accomplishing wonderful, awesome things. And it's just fantastic. Okay. So that might be glory. Oh, ah, where's it gone? That's all we want. Hang on. Go back to that. So that's glory, right? Now on the horizontal axis is time. So if you think about the average human life, 
how do you think, what's the shape, what's the arc of our human existence? So generally, we start off down here, don't you? We're in utero. At 48 hours after conception, the, the egg is fertilized. It's implanted in the uterine lining. There's not a lot of glory there. There's a lot of potential. Not a whole lot of glory. Okay. But over time, what happens? You get born. And then you work really hard, don't you, over the course of your life to accumulate more glory. You study. You work hard. You exercise. You get promoted. You partner up. Maybe you start reproducing. This multiplies your glory. And it's amazing, isn't it? You, but then what happens? You pee. And then what happens? Not so rapidly. Okay, Paul doesn't like the rapidity of it. Okay, that's okay, Paul. We can, you can go. Actually, do you know what modern medicine has done, actually? Modern medicine has kept us at the plateau, and then actually we do tend to fall off the cliff pretty quickly. And then here we die. Six feet under, that's us, right? Isn't that the, that's the, now the goal in life is to, is it not? The goal in life is to ascend as rapidly as you can and as high as you can and stay up here for as long as you can and pretend that this is never going to happen. Like you just, that's what you do. So, you know, there's a great book called Amusing Ourselves to Death that argues for the fact that our whole, that the purpose of entertainment and sports is, uh, this is based on an idea from Blaise Pascal. All of this stuff is there to help us forget the fact that this is coming. Why are we all watching women's soccer? Apart from the fact that it's a great sport, for the two hours you watch them run around kicking a little ball between each of themselves, you forget the fact you're going to die. Why do you go and watch Barbie? Because for the two hours that you watch Ken and Barbie, and you forget the fact you're going to die. Why do you go out to eat nice meals? Because for the two hours that you're eating nice meals, you can focus on the gastronomic experience and forget the fact you're going to die. Because this is just depressing. And it's weird because it's the arc of every human who has ever lived. Bar one. So how do you make sense of that? Like, why is this the arc of human life? Now, of course, the problem of suffering is really the problem that not everyone ascends to the same level of glory and not everyone gets to live as long as everyone else. So some people, some people it's like that, right? What do you call that? That's just a, that's a miscarriage, right? Some of them never make it out into the world and you just, ah, and others, others of us, you get to here and it's bang, that's childhood cancer. That's dying in a brick kiln as a slave in India. That's dying in a motor vehicle accident. And others of us, just as we're hitting our stride, just as you're getting up here to, to the peak of your glory, that's cancer, that's heart disease, it's motor vehicle accident, any number of tragedies that befall us. If you go to Ukraine now, the arc of hundreds of thousands of people's lives is bang. 
Yeah. Now, I, the, the truth of the matter is, given that this is the reality, how do you live with that? And, and what's God up to in it? I listened to a wonderful podcast yesterday, Joe Rogan. Some of you may know, you can listen to Joe Rogan on Spotify. And he was, he had a three hour interview with a fellow called Stephen Meyer, who is a brilliant Christian philosopher of science. And it's well worth listening to. I'll post a link up on circle, just Joe Rogan, Stephen Meyer. It's phenomenal. This Meyer is an orthodox evangelical Christian articulating his belief in intelligent design and the need for there to be a personal creator at the heart of it all. But the thing that Rogan kept wanting to get him to talk about is what about suffering? What kind of God allows there to be all this suffering in the world? And that's exactly right. Because we all know, is that the ark? Is that the only way forward? Now, I want to suggest there is a different ark that is possible for human existence. And there's only one person who's lived it out. And what do you think that arc is? It's actually the exact opposite, isn't it? It starts in glory, comes down and dies, and then goes up to an infinity of glory. Now, this is a church, so there's no real prizes for getting this right. But who is the one human being who's arc of whose existence has this shape. Sorry? Samantha Kerr. Yes, that's the shape of her calf muscle, I think. That's right. That's Jesus, right? So uh, Jesus, the, this is the Christian story. Jesus starts in glory. And then he descends and enters into our world. And how does it go for him in this world? like really badly to the point where he actually dies a brutal horrible death he fully experiences all of this actually maybe i should have shifted that he experiences an early untimely death at just the point he should have been at the peak of his glory somewhere in around early 30s life's great in your early 30s right it's fantastic your body's not falling apart You've learned a bit of stuff. You've got all the potential ahead of you. And then he gets, he dies. But the Bible says he rose again. He defeated death and he rose up on the other side to give us glory. Now, the question is really very simple. It's a very simple question. It's a, it's a proposition. The proposition of Christianity is this. You and I get to choose which ark we live on. It's entirely up to us. You get to choose, right? This is it. You and I can choose to join ourselves to Jesus by faith. Right? And then we get to live on this ark ourselves. So you can come on here and I'm trying to work out. Oh, this is quite fun. You can join yourself here by faith. And you can trust Jesus and go on his path. Or you can just keep living this ark. Now, of course... The Jesus arc might not be true, right? You, you have to you admit logically, it's not one plus one equals two. We don't have that kind of complete logical certainty of the truth. It's possible we're brains in a vat. 
there's all kinds of, there's, there's all sorts of ideas that you could imagine and possibilities that might make it not true. But there's a lot of evidence that points that it is true. It's, it's highly reasonable to believe that to be true. Whether it's true or not, guess what? Yes, if, if, if Christianity is not true and there's no good loving personal God, where are you, where are you left? You're left with no out. You're just left on this ark, no matter what. So here's how I resolve the problem of suffering personally for myself. I go to myself. If I believe the Christian claims, this is how suffering is resolved. Jesus came into the world. He gave up his glory. He tasted all the suffering and evil in the world, and it killed him. And then he defeated it, and he rose again. And anyone who wants to join with him can rise with him to an eternity of glory. And ultimately, every tear will be wiped away. Every wrong will be righted. Every injustice will be punished and made right. And we'll live with God forever in a state of complete glory. That's what's coming. That's the claim. Now, you might say, oh, I cannot believe that in the face of my own cancer, my own childhood sexual abuse the random death of loved ones, all the horrendous evil that goes on in the world. You can say, I just can't believe that. But you know what? If you discount that, you're still left with the suffering. <laughs> you're still left with this. You just don't have any hope in it. All you've got is denial and minimization and entertainment and hoping, heck, evil doesn't come for you too soon. But you haven't resolved the problem. Intellectually, I'm, I have lots of questions for God. God, why is, why is there the possibility of so much suffering in the world? Why did free will, and I'll offer here the classic free will defense, why did God, it seems to be that the way the world is organized, that for us to have genuine free will, we have to have the potential to choose evil. And, and then the question is, why do we all do that? And why do we all mess it up so badly? And why did God allow it? And why does he just wrap things up? Why doesn't God do more smiting in the here and now? Uh, like, I, I can think of a lot of people that the world would be a lot better off without. Right? Maybe, what if God had smitten Putin? Smote Putin. But of course, the problem is we don't know. And you go, God, should if, so really what I'm saying then is I think I know better than God. But here's a simple thought exercise. What if Putin's great-grandson becomes a world-leading molecular biologist and discovers a cure for cancer? And what if God had smitten Putin before Putin had reproduced Maybe his great-grandson wouldn't have come to the world and we'd all live with cancer for another century. Maybe. We don't know, do we? Because we don't know very much. We think we do, but we don't know very much. So there's all kinds of problems, all kinds of mysteries, all kinds of stuff we don't know. But this, in its essence, this is really, these are the only two options. Of course, there are other religious options, but they all rely on, for example, Buddhism relies on just denial avoid any desire and, and just live a desire-free life. And, and really the, the, the Buddhist and some of the, is really, that's the pattern, right? You just go round and round and eventually maybe you spin off 
you get enough morality to spin off into the future somehow and reach enlightenment. That's perhaps the other religious view. It's not actually that common in our world and it doesn't, it's very little evidence for it. Obviously this is where we are. So now what does Romans eight have to say? I hear you ask. That was the introduction, by the way. I always spectacularly underestimate how long it's going to actually take to explain ideas, which is it's my life's one of my life's greatest frustrations. And, and if that's true, then my life is incredibly good. This is the structure of Romans eight. And I'll just give it to you. The first bit is first bit is we are sons, not slaves. This is how the text starts for those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. You don't even fear the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, sonship, you might say, that's not very gender inclusive. Sonship here means in the Roman world, if you were a son, you had the full inheritance rights of a child. An adopted son inherited everything girls didn't. So Paul chooses the word to say, hey, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, if the spirit of God is in you, you will inherit glory. You will inherit everything. You have every right, the same as Jesus. And that's amazing, right? That's brilliant. Go, yes, that's awesome. What an incredible claim of Christianity. And then right at the end there, he says, we're children of God, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. And then he sneaks in this really annoying verse that shows that he's the framework I've outlined. He is acutely aware of if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. There's no way to avoid suffering, right? Christianity is not a path, a short circuit out of suffering. This is sometimes what we tell people. We say, if you come to Jesus, guess what happens? You join yourself to Jesus here. And then where do you go? Bang, straight across. You can avoid all the mess and the suffering of life, right? That's the, yeah, nah, that's not true at all, man. You share in the sufferings of Jesus. So when you join yourself to Jesus, you are still on a path where you will suffer. But, so then Paul, Paul says this, and how are we doing? I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing for the glory that will be revealed in us. And maybe if you don't take anything else out of this whole passage, if you can memorize that, and if you can believe that, and if you can live into that, it starts to reframe your whole life, doesn't it? I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You might say, but hang on, Paul knows nothing of my particular agony and suffering. True. But Paul did not write this from an ivory tower or uh, from, uh, you know, a seaside resort on the Mediterranean, sipping his, you know, Hebrew pina coladas and enjoying early retirement on the beach. He was whipped. He was stoned. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He experienced conflict and brokenness with his own ministry team. He was humiliated. 
he was excluded, he was marginalized, he was isolated. He had some personal physical affliction that he called a thorn in the flesh that he begged God to remove and God didn't take it away. Who knows what that was? And then he was, after all of that, he was executed unjustly by the Romans. So, wow, he knew suffering. And he says, I don't consider any of this worth comparing. Now, let's go back to our very sophisticated diagram. What he's saying is, when you're here, when you're here, the stuff that happened down here is light and momentary. It's just not, it'll pass. It's got a time stamp on it. And the glory that's coming will completely outweigh everything awful and horrible and tragic and evil that has happened to you and that will happen to you. And then we go on from there and we'll finish the sermon next Sunday because we're out of time. But do you see how significant that is? I consider it. Now, I won't stop right there because I do feel like I need to make a few more points. We've done that, the incomparable glory. So what is the answer in the midst of all of that? We groan and the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. So what do we do here? We're sons, not slaves. We get glory. We groan. And we pray in with the Spirit. So we pray. We know where we're going. We're groaning. We'll talk a bit more about that next week, but we pray. And sometimes God shows up and heals us here and now. But what we really need is a vision of future glory and the trust that's where we're heading and the ability to reframe and re-experience everything and trust Jesus on that journey. So let's pray. And let's pray for healing and wholeness and hope. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave up your glory and came into this world to suffer and die and rise again. And I pray for each of us in this room this morning and any who'll be watching this online, that you will help us to choose your story, your path. And in the tragedies and suffering that is inevitable in this world and in our experience, may we be a people who trust you. And as we face all the, the groaning of this world, Holy Spirit, intercede with us and we beg you for an end to suffering. We beg you for peace, for healing. And if any of us this morning need healing, if you need healing for specific, if there's aches and pains and brokenness and tragedy in your experience this morning that you want God to heal and comfort you, just ask him now. Come, Lord, to heal. Come, Lord, to comfort. Come, Lord, to give us 
faith that the glory that awaits us will make the very worst of our current suffering not worth comparing. It will seem light and momentary. And so, Lord, keep us in this hope that we have grasped. Amen. That may have stirred up a whole bunch of stuff in you. I'm around. We're around. We're a family. If you want to pray together after church, do that. If you want prayer for specific healing, if you disagree with me, if you've got questions this is raised, I'm just around. I'll be drinking coffee and hanging out. And so will everyone else. And so you can just chat to folk and pray with folk. All righty. How about that? Let's stand. We're going to sing one last song. We will respond to this in worship.